Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. Uh, And we've been doing a series basically called Give Me a Sign. And uh, we're looking at the, the eight recorded miracles in, uh, in the Gospel of John. Uh, we're up to the seventh miracle today. We'll jump straight in, in John chapter 11, because today we come to the story of Lazarus. So this is uh, a very, very well-known story to many people. Uh, John 11, one now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick... He stayed where he was two more days. We jump down to verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, well, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Down to verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, By this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away this stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you are always hearing me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. 
Friends, Lazarus had a problem, a very simple problem, and perhaps a very, very obvious problem. The problem was he was dead. And at that moment, can I suggest that was the only problem he had? But the interesting thing is that because that was the only thing wrong with Lazarus, that he was dead, nothing else about him was actually right. Because here's the thing, death cancels everything else out. Death even cancels out any positive attribute you may have in your life. And let's bring it into contemporary setting. If Lazarus was alive today, he might have been an amazing footy player. That's no use when you're dead. He might have been an incredible mechanic, you know, just had that knack of being able to fix cars. That's absolutely no good when you're dead. He might have been the most honest, caring, charming, good-looking single man in town, which is no use when you're dead. He might have been really, really wealthy and had a whole bunch of, you know, big sort of property portfolio and a stack of money in the bank, which, as we know, is absolutely no use when you're dead. Because to be dead cancels out everything that would otherwise be good or right about you. Does that make sense? Why do I say that? One of the key texts for this series, we remember, um, is John 20 and 30. There are other miraculous signs that Jesus did in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And listen to this. And that by believing, you might have life in his name. When John talks about having life in the name of Jesus, he is talking about spiritual life. And this is the whole point. You see, there are many people in this community today, maybe some here this morning, who are physically alive, but who are spiritually dead. To be spiritually dead means you actually live separated from God. You live your life without any reference to God at all. And friends, the truth is, grab a hold of this. The worst thing that can happen in life is not that you lose your job, not that you lose your house, not that you lose a car. As tragic as all of those things are, the very worst thing that can happen to us is that we can walk around physically alive but spiritually dead. That's the worst thing that can happen. You see, you can be the kindest, nicest most caring person in the world. You can be a good person, but that doesn't matter if you are spiritually dead. Doesn't matter how good you are. You can be good and there are a lot of good people and there is a myth in the thinking of many people that going to heaven or God, it's all about being good. If I'm just a good person, and if there's one takeaway from this message this morning, make it this. Never forget this. The reason by 
the reason that being good has nothing to do with you being a Christian or that being good um, uh, that, that being good is what makes you a Christian, the reason that doesn't make sense is because being good or being bad is not the issue. The issue is, are you alive or are you dead? And yet the measure of godliness, people suddenly gravitate to this, well, they're a great person, they're a good person. And that person's a bad person. That person's a good person. That person's a bad person. And so because God is good, we, we uh, equate goodness with godliness. Now, it might be an outworking of godliness, but it's not the measure of godliness. Does that make sense? Because the issue about being Christian is not whether you're good or bad. The issue about being Christian is, am I spiritually alive or am I spiritually dead? Does that make sense this morning? And it doesn't matter how religious you are. You see, you can come here and you can uh, sit here and agree with everything we said with a whole bunch of other people who agree with the same things that you believe. That's just religion. Doesn't matter how religious you are. The issue is whether you are spiritually alive or spiritually dead. Have you received that life that Jesus talks about? You see, if we back up to John chapter 3, Jesus said, I tell you the truth... Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. He doesn't say, unless you're really good, you'll never see the kingdom of God. He says something far more profound, unless you were born again. Now, obviously, he's not talking about a physical rebirth. That's ridiculous. So what he is referring to, obviously, is a spiritual rebirth. And when we come to this story of Lazarus, I think the picture of Lazarus is one of the greatest illustrations of rebirth that we have in the pages of God's Word. It's a great illustration of what it is to be born again. And I want to look at this particular miracle from that perspective this morning. So... Here's the issue. How do dead people come to life again? So let's ask a question. What are the symptoms of being dead? Now, here's a bit of a pop quiz, and I'm going to give a crunchy way to the first hand up for the right answer. And I'm going to... Exc- I'm going to... As of being spiritually dead is that you have no appetite for the things of God. You see, to, to, to become spiritually alive, there needs to be a growing appetite within you that says, you know, there's something more to this world than meets the eye. You know, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, God has set eternity in the hearts of man. And, and it's when that begins to stir within us that we develop an appetite for the things of God. But again, sadly, most people, even living in this region, aren't the slightest bit interested in being here or any other church on a Sunday morning. They're not the slightest bit interested because they have no appetite. They have no interest in the things of God. And the reason why they have no appetite, spiritually speaking, is because they have no life, spiritually speaking. So don't be shocked or surprised if you invite somebody to church and they say, oh, that's actually the last place I want to be. But when God, by His Holy Spirit, begins to work in a person's heart, there becomes an appetite and a curiosity and a longing 
and a seeking for God. It's very possible that there might be people in this room this morning who are exactly in that position. In fact, that's why you came this morning. There's something stirring within your heart. There's a growing anticipation in your heart. Maybe you don't even recognize it in these terms, but maybe the Holy Spirit has drawn you here today because you long to know God. And it is God by His Holy Spirit who puts that appetite in our hearts. And then as you come to know Christ, that appetite continues to grow. Now, when Lazarus was sick, his sisters did a really, really sensible thing and they called for Jesus. He was only sick, remember, when they sent for Jesus. But Jesus didn't come straight away. And when he finally got there, not only had Lazarus died, but he had been dead for four days. And when Lazarus' sister Mary and Martha heard that Jesus was coming, Martha runs to meet him. We read in verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. In effect, Martha was saying, Jesus, you're too late. You're too late. We have lost whatever window of opportunity we had. You're too late. And can I say, relating this to us today, often many people think in regards to God, uh, it's too late for me. You know, I've lost my window of opportunity. They think, well, you know, I, I went to Sunday school when I was a kid. I had the opportunity back then. But, uh, you know, I, it's not for me now. I don't know if you've ever been in that position. And maybe some of us here this morning did come to Jesus a bit later in life. But I wonder if you have ever thought that, that I've lost that window of opportunity. And maybe when I was a kid, I could have had that opportunity. Or maybe we think I've drifted way too far from God for God to ever be interested in me. Or maybe you're here this morning and you even feel just this sense of absolute hopelessness. And, and here's the thing. Even though Martha was staring Jesus, the miracle worker, in the face, she still expressed this overwhelming sense of hopelessness. If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus, it's nice to see you. You're a friend of our family. But, but looking at this situation, it, it's too late. Jesus, it's too late. But then Jesus says to her in the very next verse, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, well, <laughs> I know he'll rise again. Uh, at the resurrection at the last day. And as we unpack her response to Jesus, there's something really, really interesting here. Because she actually starts from a backwards look, you're too late, to a forwards look that says, well, one day something nice is going to happen in the future. So she's used the past tense. She's used a present tense or a present sense but here she, uh, sorry, a future sense. But here she is in the present and she's missing the whole point that the Jesus of the past and the Jesus of the future is right now in front of her in her present right now. And Jesus wants to do something right now. 
And he wants to do something in your life and in my life right now. It's not about a missed opportunity. It's not about, I've lost that window. It's not about sometime in the future. And people do this as well. Oh, well, I'm, you know, I have no room for God in my life now. And that's kind of, maybe when I get a bit older, I'll get religious. And we use Jesus as some kind of eternal life insurance policy. Oh, you know, it's for old people. and you, you, The older you get, the more religious you get because death's getting closer and we like to have an eternal insurance policy. But friends, can I encourage you? As Jesus says in verse 25, brings it right into the present tense, I am the resurrection and the life. Not the past, not the future. Martha, here I am right now. I'm standing right in front of you right now. I am the resurrection and the life. Present tense. Martha, you might feel a bit hopeless that it's too late for you, that humanly speaking, the circumstance is impossible. Humanly speaking, we've lost whatever window of opportunity we had. But Martha, you've got to know, it's not too late for me. Remember last week we talked about the fact that we, we, we try to reduce the activity of Jesus to a program or a formula that we can repeat. But part of the reason Jesus never reduces his activity to a repeatable program or formula is that the fact is it's not about what he does, it's about who he is. And this is exactly what he's trying to impress upon Martha. Martha, this is not about what I do. It's about who I am. I am the resurrection and the life. Because, friends, the answer that Jesus gives to the need of every human, the, the, the every need of the human heart, is actually himself. This is not something that I will do for you. It's not something that I will give to you. He said, it's me. I am. Am. It's himself. Friends, you've got to know this. Jesus always gives to us himself. And that's what becoming a Christian is all about. It's about receiving Jesus himself. And to those who are lost, Jesus says, I am the way. To those who are confused, Jesus says, I am the truth. To those who are wandering in darkness, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. To those who need guidance, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I'll show you the way. And here he is in front of a grave, in front of a tomb. And he says, I am the life. Martha, don't look anywhere else. Don't look back. Don't just have that future hope. Look at me right now. Friends, wherever you are at this morning, you've got to understand that Jesus is in your present. Jesus is here right now. And he says to him in verse 26, great question. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Jesus, I think, is emphasizing that this needs to be a personal response. The Bible tells us we need to confess with our lips that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's power in confession. And he says, Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? 
And friends, a relationship, as I've said, is not about coming to church on a Sunday. A relationship with Jesus is, I'm connecting to Jesus in my world right now. And the exciting thing this morning is as we sit here, gathered here, God is here. God is here. We have to have that constant reminder, that constant sense that the presence of God is here. That a living God is among us. You see, we don't gather in this place to commit ourselves to following the teaching of a dead prophet. We gather to celebrate the life and living relationship that we have in Jesus right now. And friends, because God is here right now, it demands a personal response. Now you're sitting at home and there's a knock on the door. It demands a response. And there's really only two responses you can give when somebody knocks on the door. Either you choose to answer it or you choose not to answer it. There's no other opportunity. But there's a response. Revelation 3 and 20, Jesus' words, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Jesus asks Martha that great question, do you believe this? And for each one of us, that's a personal question that God would ask. Do you believe this? Which requires a personal response. Verse 27, yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. But here's the question. Is that belief enough? Is that belief enough? Big question. Jump down to verse 38. Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across it. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, Martha, the sister of the dead man said, by this time there is a bad odor for he has been there for four days. This is really interesting. Verse 27, Jesus asks her a question. Do you believe? To which she replied, yes, Lord, and a right confession of Christ A very, very emphatic yes. But 10 verses later, here she is. Jesus is at that point asking her to put her faith in action. You told me, Martha, 10 verses ago that you believed. Okay. Roll the stone away. And then we have this tiny little dangerous word, but... Dangerous word. And she starts making excuses. But, Lord, said Martha, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there for four days. Yeah, Jesus, yeah, I believe in you. But what you're asking, you've got to realise, man, that's going to stink. Friends, can I say perhaps it's the state that many people find themselves in. They hear about Jesus. They come to understand the reality of Jesus. But there comes a time when Jesus says, that's fine. But what makes this a complete reality for you? What allows you to experience the fullness of life that only I can give? Is that you, it goes more than from a confession of the lips to saying, okay, now God, you have total access You have total access to my life. Because God says, you know what? 
Once you confess my name, once you confess that Jesus is Lord, it is that moment that my Holy Spirit, that, that, that Spirit of God takes up residence in our life to begin a work of transformation. That God comes to occupy our lives to then begin to reproduce the life of Jesus within us. That's why it's not about religion, it's about relationship. Because no amount of strict discipline to a set of rules will bring an inner transformation. It'll just be imposed behavioral discipline. But when we allow God by his Holy Spirit to start to do a work in us, he does the work of transforming character, of changing us from the inside out. And Jesus says, you need to open up the door of your heart, the door of your life, so that my Holy Spirit, I can come in and begin the work of reviving what was dead within you. And some people <laughs> have the same response that Martha did. It's, God, you really don't want to go in there because it stinks. And we look at our lives and we look at some of the decisions and the mistakes of our past and some of the ugly stuff that even those closest to us don't even know about it, but it's my secret. And we think somehow, God, you really don't want me to fully open up to you because you're not going to like what you see. It stinks. And, and can I encourage you this morning, friends? God is never embarrassed by anything in your life. He's never ashamed. He's never threatened. He's never surprised. He's never overwhelmed. Because God knows you. God knows you. He knows your history. And He also knows how bound to that stuff you sometimes are. The stuff that you can't let go of. But God says, hey, I'm a supernatural God. Even a dead body is no threat to me at all. Roll away the stone because I want access. Roll away the stone because I want access. Let me intervene in this situation. Let me do something here. And listen to this, because if we fail to do that, we're going to miss out on what our supernatural, awesome, miraculous God can do. And our whole experience, even our faith experience, will be limited to what we can do, what we can accomplish. It'll take courage on your part, but that's what you actually need to do to give Jesus the opportunity to work. And maybe there's somebody here this morning who needs to say in all honesty before God, God, I'm willing. Jesus, I am willing to confess all of this stuff, all of this stinking mess. I want to confess my need for you. I'm going to give you free access, expose everything to you. Even those darkest areas that nobody else knows about, I'm going to expose them to you. I know it stinks. 
but I'm going to take away the stone. And can I encourage you, that's about the boldest step of faith you can make. But it's the point that God begins to act. Because Martha did that, and what happened? Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And Jesus spoke at that moment right into the deadness. And he spoke life into the deadness because he said, come out. And friends, you can hear the voice of God this morning speaking to you. Maybe you're even sensing right now and in a way that you've never experienced before that the Holy Spirit is doing something within you. And then there comes a decision to respond to that. Because God will never force you. Jesus didn't walk into the tomb and and drag Lazarus out by the hair. He gave a command that needed to be obeyed. Verse 44 simply tells us, the dead man came out. How cool is that? And you see, that's why believing is not enough. We've got to obey the commands. And here is Lazarus now quite literally alive, quite literally born again. And friends, spiritually speaking, you can share in exactly the same experience this morning. Because before we respond to Jesus, as I said at the start, we are spiritually dead. And God wants to make you alive.